The Courage to Lead, Episode 73. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Arlen here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Jennifer Thornton. Jennifer is a sought after business strategist specializing in startups and large value-based organizations. She's developed her expertise in talent strategy and leadership professional development over her exciting 20 plus year career as an HR professional. Jenna assists her clients in building talent strategies that complement their business strategies to ensure exponential growth. Jenna's led international teams across greater China, Mexico, the UK, and the US, expanding into new markets, managing franchise retailers, and developing key strategic partnerships, all while exceeding business objectives and financial results. The rapid growth of her consulting firm, 304 Coaching, has been largely due to Jennifer's unconventional approach to building innovative workforce development solutions for companies who are facing breakthrough growth and accelerated hiring patterns. Jen lives in Texas with her family and rescues, which we are definitely going to talk about. In her free time, she enjoys reading historic preservation, remodeling her lake home, and spending time with friends. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's going to be a fun time. It's going to be great. We're going to stop everything and we're going to talk about rescues. Tell me about your rescues. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, how many shows can we do talking about all the rescues? <laughs> so I have a soft spot, soft spot for any animal that needs a home. And if a dog or a cat has a large vet bill coming their way, they usually find my front porch. I think there's a, like this sign <laughs> that I can't read that says vet bill stop here. But um, we have four rescue dogs. We have wow. found or have found us or any of the other. We foster every month. I contribute to all different um, rescue um, groups. And um, it's just a huge part of who we are. We love, we love all animals. Animals. That is awesome. Yeah. My wife and I both love animals, dogs, especially uh, if we had our way, we would have a ranch just full of dogs. I think that would be awesome. Me too. I think it'd be fun. Very cool. And a good place to do it is in Texas. So maybe we'll head down there. Who knows? All right. Uh, definitely want to talk about this, how you got your start, how you started 304 coaching, um, the work that you're doing now. Um, but before we get started, I have some questions that I ask all of my guests. These are questions made popular on the television show Inside the Actor's Studio, where host James Lipton asks these questions of his uh, Hollywood elite. And if they're good enough for those folks, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So if you're ready, I have some questions for you. Fire well, away. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Um, humanity. What is your least favorite word? No. <laughs> what turns you on? Um, I think a spirit that um, can conquer anything or looks at anything is just the opportunity to figure something out. Like I love that, that just openness to trying anything and, and just take life and live all of its challenges with grace. Cool. And what turns you off? Um, just probably the opposite of that, you know, some, something or situations where people just, you know, just kind of fell victim and 
act like a victim or act like they're not in control or blame others. None of that's ever fun. Absolutely. What sound or noise do you love? Oh, let's see. I can hear my dogs barking in the background right now, which I actually love my dogs, um, but probably laughter the most. And what sound or noise do you hate? Um, anything that's related to pain. You know, I hate seeing anyone in pain. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite curse word? <laughs> I love this question. Um, I usually say it as like, what? So mother, what? <laughs> so I don't ever say it from a bad standpoint. It's always my like, oh my gosh, version. <laughs> there you go. Um, number eight, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Probably something artistic. Like I wish I had more artistic um, abilities. If I could be a singer or a painter or a, a writer, I'd love to, you know, have some magical skills that I don't have around the arts. Nice. And what pro profession would you not like to attempt? Oh, anything medical that blows my mind. That's a lot to remember. And a lot of big words I could never say. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I have the penmanship down though. So that's, that's easy. Um, all right. Finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome and let's have a good time. Awesome. Let's have a good time. All right. We're going to have a good time talking about uh, your background, how you got started, learn more about your career, 304 coaching, and uh, probably talk more about rescues too. All right. And we'll get to that's that good. right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And we are back uh, with my guest, Jennifer thornton Drin. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm glad you could be on the podcast. So uh, tell me a little bit about how you got started. Did you grow up wanting to be an HR professional or did you just kind of fall into it? I fell into it. I actually grew, was growing up and wanted to work at the mall. Um, okay. We won't talk about my age, but you know, back then malls were pretty darn cool and the only place to shop. So that's what I wanted to do is I loved fashion. I loved um, the sense of community and I just really enjoyed hanging out at the mall, but good news, dreams come true. And I got a job at the mall. <laughs> and that started my, my retail career. You got to start somewhere. Sure. And so I worked um, on the operations side of um, retail for half of my corporate career, doing all types of different roles and leadership um, positions. And then the second half of my career, I actually went into HR and it made a ton of sense. It was, you know, definitely who I was and what I was probably meant to do because I always got my results from an operations standpoint, because I was really passionate about the team. I was passionate about who I hired, the dynamics I put together, the accountability of the team. 
you know, a lot of retailers, you know, KPIs is everything. Like we can't breathe without measuring something. I and mean, that's just who we are as retailers. But most people did it from a competition standpoint or this need to be number one. And for me, when I had those results, it was because I could assimilate this team and bring them together and, and figure them out. And so, you know, through years of really practicing that craft around talent strategy and driving business through talent strategy, there was a position in HR and the company was like, hey, I know this is completely different, but what if you came over here and tried a few things? And I was like, sure, I'll give it a whirl. Why not? And so that's when I um, went into HR and I did a ton of different you know, positions in that HR realm and eventually leading an international HR team around the world. So it was a pretty good career switch. Very cool. And then how long did you do that? Oh my gosh. I mean, I was in like a corporate HR role for probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And I did the international for about five, which again was kind of one of those whims where I got a phone call and the chief HR officer was like, Hey, you want to move to Hong Kong for a few months? And I'm like, what do you want me to do when I get there? And he's like, figure it out. And I'm like, okay. So off I went to Hong Kong. We had purchased some of our, um, our franchise stores back and made them own and operated. So I went to Hong Kong to kind of figure out what, we, what was going on with a kind of a crew of people that became lifelong friends. That went well. And then I started working um, in international HR and going into new countries where we were setting up shop and starting all of that while maintaining the markets we were already open in. So it was exciting. It was a ton of fun. It looked amazing on Instagram, sure. a little tiring. Wow. A little, tiny little bit of jet lag. Other than that, it was <laughs> it's great. just a little bit. But, I, you know, HR is, there's a lot more to HR than just dealing with employees, hiring and firing. There's a lot of stuff that goes on there. Did you have to learn all the, the legal ins and outs for all those countries you were working in? I did. But, you know, we, it, you know, with HR, it's all about, because it is somewhat of a generalist role, and I was definitely in a generalist situation. So it's about understanding who your partners are and how to leverage partners. And that's with any leadership position is you Mm -hmm. have to know what you're good at. And I think for top leaders, when you look at great skills for our leaders today, those that are fantastic at building partnerships and knowing how to deploy those partnerships are really successful. And yeah, I had to know the basics, but we had great partners and I hired great teams and, you know, we had plenty of attorneys to keep us busy, like any good company. Absolutely. <laughs> and, um, but it's interesting you, when you travel around the world and you think about, um, how they look at employment and protecting employees. And then you go to the next country, they have a different view on it. You come home to America and you're like, well, this is really different from what I've been used to, especially when I worked in Europe and there was so much to offer employees and I'd come back to the U S and our benefits were obviously very different. Hmm. Um, so it was, it was fascinating to see how different cultures viewed employment and the responsibility of employment. Yeah. What was the most interesting thing you found out? Which country? So did you know, here's some fun facts. In Hong Kong, if you don't ensure that your employee takes their statutory 10 days of vacation a year, you can be criminally liable and go to jail. Wow. Yeah. So kids out there, if you're in Hong Kong, take your vacation day. (laughs) Take your vacation. (laughs) Take your vacation days. Yep. Little fun fact there. I got a whole bunch of them, but I always love that one the best. We don't have that law in America. No, we don't. Not (laughs) yet, but we should. Very cool. And then you started your coaching practice. Tell me about 304 coaching. 
So after doing the international um, position for several years, I knew there was something more. I really wanted to focus more on that talent strategy and kind of find my voice in that. And I'd always said I would never start my own business. How could I? I wasn't this. I wasn't that. But when I started working internationally and for a big, large, you know, global retailer, I could be dropped off in a foreign country and figure it out. I was like, you know what? I could probably figure this out if I had to. And so I was just at that point of my age, my career, where I was ready for something different. We had some big changes in my corporate job. And, you know, it's just one of those perfect storms. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to take what I love most, and that is really helping teams come together, create incredible business results, help organizations understand that their business results only become reality when they have fantastic teams Mm -hmm. and start working on that as my focus. And the rest is history. In fact, today makes our four-year anniversary. Awesome. Happy anniversary. That is great. Thank you. And where did you come up with the the name 304? (laughs) So, you know, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. And I got a phone call from someone I used to work with and she knew I was going out on my own and she knew what I was going to do. And so she calls me like, I don't know, late afternoon one day and says, I need you in here tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Pitch to my CEO. He wants to hire a coach for our entire executive C-suite. And I was like, I don't even have a name. I'm still working in my job. Um, I, I, I don't know. And she's like, just figure it out. And I'm like, all right. And so that night I'm like on Canva trying to make a logo. I'm trying to make up a name for this company. That's still just in my mind. And I didn't want anything kind of cheesy. I just wanted something different. And 304 has always been my lucky number. It's a combination of dates. And so I was like, well, I'll go with my lucky number and see what happens. And obviously since today is our anniversary so far, so good. Good job. That is awesome. So uh, the situation we're in right now, thanks to COVID and the lockdown and everything like that, the the environment's kind of changed a little bit. A lot of the clients that I have are struggling to find and attract and hire and retain great employees. Is there a, a secret formula that they should know about? How do you how do you help companies that are struggling like this? Oh, it is. There's a lot of moving parts right now with um, our employment base in the United States. And there are a ton of external factors and they are everything from people retiring early, dropping out, homeschooling, immigrations at an all time low, health concerns. Like I could go on and on. And, and But all of those things have added up to an employee shortage. And I know as an employer, that is no fun. I know it's really hard to find great talent and everyone's fighting over that same pool of great talent, but what's going to happen and what is happening is it's forcing us as leaders to really think about who we are, think about how we treat people and think about what is truly our mission as an organization. And in today's world, you know, we've over the years talked poorly towards millennials, like, you know, they have to have purpose and they just can't go do their job. Well, good for them. Like, heck yeah, if I'm getting out of bed, I want to make a difference. But what we're seeing is that belief of making a difference through our changes over the last couple of years is actually through everyone. And so I think for organizations, if you want to retain people, you have to give them purpose. You have to give them a voice. You have to be supportive of their growth. And if you want to attract top talent, you have to have an environment where people, again, can use their voice and grow as, hum- as humans. 
and really look at humanity, which is one of my favorite words, as we already talked about, look at humanity in a different way. And I always talk about, I don't want teamwork. I think teamwork's kind of lame. Teamwork is really just some people willing to show up and do their job. And that's not that exciting. Um, but linkage, the, the language I like to use is linkage. Cause if you think of a chain, you know, the bigger it links, the longer it gets kind of that stronger it gets. And linkage is really thinking about what are our differences and celebrating those differences, allowing those differences in the room and to be heard, whether that, I mean, and there's a thousand things you could list as a difference. Mm-hmm. And that linkage is what's creating teams that are performing well and creating teams that want to stay on board and work with each other. And I think that you know, kind of the secret sauce. How do you move from this kind of fake niceness of teamwork to an organization that is truly linked together for a common good? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When I was uh, consulting, we had to be on site, right? Because they didn't, uh, managers or whoever didn't think that you could be productive from home, but now they're finding out that you can actually be productive even more so. Uh, but I think there are drawbacks because it seems like people are working a lot more hours now because they're at home. And, you know, it's not like you you go to a place and work and then come home again. You're there and the work is always around. Is that one of the downfalls? And what else have you seen? I think it is one of the downfalls because it's, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Like you go, you can really departmentalize when you go home and there's no work there. Or when you go to work and there's no home there, you can really departmentalize. But we are total human beings. How we view our job and we view our confidence and our achievements around our job does bleed into who we are at home. And who we are at home and the support and the love we feel at home bleeds into our performance. So we've always tried to pretend like we are two humans, but good news, guys, we're just one. And (laughs) that one humanity, that one person has been forced to be brought together at home. Like right now, I'm like thinking, oh my gosh, my dog's barking in the background. I wonder if it's going to be on this recording. But that's who I am. I I am someone who loves dogs and chances are you'll hear one in the background. And I used to freak out and think I was going to be horrible. And I'm like, yeah, the dog barked. And so when you think about allowing someone to be both of themselves together, you can see how the anxiety and stress goes down where I'm not stressing if my dog barks. I'm just saying, well, yeah, I got a dog. All right, let's keep going. Exactly. And yeah. And so I think there's some value in merging these two people that we've always thought we had to be into one. Yeah. And you brought up the millennials. I think they get a bad rap. Everybody says, oh, they just want so much. They want the same thing we all want. It's just uh, like my generation and before, if you had a job, you were lucky. You did whatever they asked you to do. You worked for 30, 40 years and stuff, and then you keeled. And I think millennials now have access to see that there's more to life. You, There are companies that treat you with, with value and respect, right? And they do listen to you and stuff. They know that that's available and that's what they want. I think that's what everybody wants. It is. Everyone wants that, um, you know, and I think that we were a little um, afraid to say that, right? We were afraid to say, this is what I want because, you know, there were a time where there was only a list of so many jobs in the world, right? You could be an accountant, you could be, you know, um, a doctor. I mean, there was like a short list today. There are so many ways to make a dollar to support yourself and your family. It is actually endless. And because it's endless, 
then we're allowed to have some expectations and we are in control of our happiness because there is endless ways to be financially independent now. And we don't have to rely on the company to do that. And so employers need to remember that. And is that, is that part of what's happening? Where, like I said, some of my clients, uh, they're in the trades. Trades are difficult. People don't want to work. I mean, they want to work, but they don't want to work with their hands. They don't want to get dirty. They don't want to get sweaty. Uh, These guys are really struggling. You know, they have more work than they can handle and they pay great uh, wages, but they, they just can't find the people that, that want to come in. It is interesting. I love that you bring that up. It's one of the categories I'm really passionate about, you know, trying to think about how do we get um, our shortage of trade, you know, experts. I mean, they are truly experts. How do we get that population who would excel in that type of environment, educated, seeing the opportunity? Most of them are making six-figure salaries. I mean, these are good paying, fantastic jobs. And I think that as a country, we went through this thing about you had to have a college degree or you were just nothing. And companies were like, I won't hire you unless you have a college degree and all that stuff. Well, here's a secret guys. I don't have one. Um, and I've done a ton of things and done just fine without one. Now I'm a continuous learner. I'm always in courses. I have more certificates than anyone would ever think I should have, but we have created this environment where we feel like people should go down only one path. And again, there's so many paths. And I think that we have to talk to our children about options. What do they truly love to do? And how do you set them up to love that and not put your expectations on their happiness? Exactly. No, love it. Um, you also talk about um, you can't throw payroll at a problem. Talk to me about that. Because I know businesses do that. It's, oh, we'll just give more money. It's not about the money. Not about the money. You can't throw a payroll at the problem. And that kind of quote works for a myriad of reasons. And so too often, you know, you see a team that's totally overwhelmed and they're pulling their hair out and like, you've got to hire us some help. And you're like, okay. And you just throw that payroll at the problem. And then you're like, why well, hire two more people? And they're still overwhelmed. I, what's going on? Well, it's because you didn't look at the work. You didn't look at efficiencies. You didn't look at how you lead. And are you leading in a way that causes all this mess and drama? You know, is there another department who's not being held accountable? So it's causing double work over here. And when we throw payroll at problems, we're not stopping and saying, what is the work that needs to be done? How does it need to be done? Why should it be done? Who should do it? We're also not taking the time of saying, is this a part-time, a full-time? Is this a work from home? Is it an office only? Is it blended? And just like there used to be kind of a list of only so many jobs in the world, we used to think that the only way to have a job is full-time, certain hours in an office. And that is no longer true either. And so I just don't think as a, or as companies are just getting as creative as they could, a job sharing. I mean, there's just an endless list of ways to have great people on your team, but you have to be open to some creativity. Absolutely. Is that some of the coaching you do with companies to help them be creative that way? 
Yeah, absolutely. How do we really look at the work and and how do we think about um, one of the things I always talk about is, you know, finding someone whose skills are exactly where you need it at that time, not to experience, not enough experience, kind of that Goldilocks. How do you find the Goldilocks? We find the Goldilocks by having multiple levels, multiple ways to look at a job. So when you find a great candidate, there's something along the way that would fit them. And too often, because when an organization is trying to figure out how to structure their work, they're in it, right? And so you can't see the forest through the trees because you're right in it. And so that's why it's so great to come in and listen and hear and talk to people and, you know, get all the noise because it's like, you can just kind of almost like pick something out and go, oh, here, by the way, this is it. And they're like, oh, I didn't see it, you know, but it's just right there. Yeah. Having that extra set of eyes. Absolutely. But culture is a big issue too, right? A lot of companies don't realize how important culture is. And maybe they started finding out now that their employees are working from home, that's a tough, you trying to build a culture, maintain that culture. Um, what, what recommendations do you have for folks? So, you know, obviously there are two different types of culture. There's the one that's on the little poster and in the handbook. And then there's yeah. the one that we actually live The real by. one. <laughs> yeah. The real one. I know. I always like that when there's like two different ones. Absolutely. And to create a a culture, there has to be consistent accountability. It's almost consistent accountability outranks, you know, words on a paper any day. And we have to be in an environment where we can say to someone, I understand why you see this decision, but at the end of the day, the impact of that decision isn't in line with our values. And it goes as far as when you're interviewing people, start to think about the language they're using. And one of uh, my clients, we've, we worked really hard to get their culture on paper, but then we're like, okay, now what do we do with it? I mean, paper actions, two different things. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we do is when we're interviewing someone, we have multiple people interview them. And one of the things they have to come back and talk about is, was their language consistent with our language? So for example, you know, this organization collaboration is a huge piece because we feel like collaboration is bigger than teamwork. And so we're looking for people that talk about partnerships. We're looking for people that talk about, I had this problem, but then I, I, I had lunch with someone from a different department and it hit me because then that means they know how to collaborate. And so we're not only looking for skill set, but we're looking at their views and how they attack their work, because that's how you keep a culture true. Absolutely. Yeah. That is so important. Um, And talking to my clients and stuff, they can hire based on knowledge and skills but it's that attitude. If this person has a really good attitude, they do fit into the culture and everything. It's a lot easier to teach them the skills that they need, right? It is. Um, It's much easier to teach that than try to, you know, bang it in them. Yeah. Yeah. That there's laws against that. Um, (laughs) So I talk to my clients about business strategy. You talk a lot about talent strategy. What does a talent strategy consist of? So a talent strategy is an overlay to your business strategy. And you know, through your client work that everyone has a business strategy. We talk about it all the time. And in there is, you know, um, cost of goods. There is, you know, percentage for payroll. There's supply chain, customers, the the rate in which we sell through. I mean, a million things, right? That's in the business plan. Um, It is incredibly rare inside that business plan that I see someone with talent development in it. And it's like, they've got 98% of it there. And then they leave off talent development as part of the strategy. And then they're surprised when 
nothing's getting done or they're not meeting their objectives because they have a team that is not consistent with what they need. And that is why I think that building a talent strategy on top of your talent or a talent strategy on top of your business strategy is so powerful because it's never going to come true unless you think about the people who are going to do the work. Yeah. And you're, you'll never be able to hire the exact skill set you need. You have to be able to bring people in and grow them. Right. And, and I always tell my, my clients, uh, you want to build leaders, right? My job is to get them to where they have a business that runs for them without them having to be there. You can't do that unless you have leaders you can delegate to and turn things over to and stuff like that. That's should be part of that talent strategy, right? Yeah, it should be. And it should also be part of becoming a leader who is open to figuring out how to lead a team that can make decisions when you're not there. And that is one of the biggest things I see people trip up on is they want to step out. They want their team to lead, but they're leading in a way where that team can't make a decision unless they're there. And my favorite part of that story is I usually get a call. My team, you know, they won't make their own decision. If I'm there, nothing happens. And I'm like, fantastic. Tell me what you're doing. And they're like, huh, not me. Yeah. And I'm like, absolutely. You have to build a culture where people feel good about the decisions they make if you don't want to be there every day. And even if you are every there every day, if you're there every day, make sure that you're teaching people how to make decisions um, because they're going to feel more empowered. They're going to be a better partner to you and you're going to feel better about what you're doing and not be so exhausted. Absolutely. Yeah. I had one client that he had a guy that would come in and almost every day ask him a question. How do I do this again? How did we do this again? It's like, stop answering him. He stop knows the answer. Encourage him, you know, to, to do this. Cause that's the only way they're going to break free and walk on their own. Right. Yeah. Um, communication, communication in business is huge. I think leadership is all about communicating, you know, to the, the people at different levels, uh, saying the right thing at the right time, when it needs to be said and everything like that has the pandemic and us being remote working, has that damaged our communication? I think whatever you struggled with, whether it was communication or organization, whatever you struggled with before the pandemic, the pandemic just took like a big spotlight and stuck it on it mm. and said, by the way, this is what you're struggling in case you're curious. Here it is. Right. <laughs> and good news. Now you know what it is. So I think that, you know, when you're working virtually and we have virtual teams, communication needs to be a lot more organized because a lot of communication happens organically in an office setting, right? You just bump into so-and-so from the other department. You're like, oh, hey, now that I've seen you, I think I need to ask you this. Yeah. Or, you know, I was talking to so-and-so the other day and this, that, and the other. Well, when you're a virtual, you don't have those bump in moments. So you have to be organized. You have to know what your team needs to know, why they need to know, why it's important to them. You have to be consistently with touch bases, consistent with group conversations, and you have to have an incredible foundation of trust and way of work and way of decision-making so that if you can't just walk into someone's office and say, hey, how do you want to do this? You've got to teach them how to do it without you there. Absolutely. Yeah. We used to call those the drive-by meetings, right? You just yeah. walk down the hall and you see somebody in their office, you stick your head in and yeah. Yeah. And those and are not there when you're virtual. So you got to, no. you got to organically make them. Absolutely. But uh, you know, the, the meetings too, you can't just run meetings like log on, say what you need to say and log off. You have to allow people the chance to, to warm up and talk and, and joke, you know, and have fun just like they yeah, do in the, in the regular office. So how many people do you have working for you at 304? 
So right now we've got six um, that are, you know, key employees. And then we have a whole slew of experts, you know, from video editors to voiceovers for training to a whole slew of copywriters. Um, so yes, so it's a blend. Um, I actually have no full-time employees. Okay. Because none of our work is generalist work. All of it is specialized. Nice. So you bring in the team you need for each project, mm -hmm. right? Nice. Yeah. Because I could bring in three full-time people and they're going to be good at only half of their job. Yeah. Or I can bring in six experts at 20 hours and they can be fantastic every minute that they're doing work for me. Absolutely. And that's how we look at it is we are bringing in experts to do what they do. And then we allow them to do it. And I allow them to tell me what's, you know, what's going on, or here's a recommendation. And I trust them because they're an expert. I'm not asking them to give me recommendations on something they're not good at. Yeah. Very cool. And then when you were uh, in the HR space, did you have employees working for you and reporting to you? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, all different, um, you know, throughout my life, big teams, small teams, medium teams. I think I've had them all. Wow. <laughs> I've had a team where no one spoke the same language. Um, English was everyone's second or third language. So what's interesting is even when someone learns um, American or business English, how they learn it is different by country. And so you have to know how someone in Mexico thinks about, um, I always use the term like go fast, like in the mm -hmm. English, American English, like we could go quick, we could go fast, we could go now. If you're in Texas, you say pronto because we have this weird language we speak. <laughs> right. So there's all these like ways to say it, but then you have to learn how each country applies those words. So no one ever speaks yeah. the same language. And the, the idioms you know, that mm -hmm. you'll say something and a couple of people at the table understand what you said and the rest of them have no clue. <laughs> Like, no clue. <laughs> I know, but I picked up so many of those. They were really cool. Um, you know, add, add gas to, or add um, uh, gas to the lantern. That was the China one, you know, keep hmm. adding, you know, more gas and that meant speed up or put more into it. Um, but yeah, it was fun to learn other people's um, little sayings too. Absolutely. Yeah. I was on a project one time where one of the guys on the other project said, well, let's, let's put this project to sleep. It's like, no, <laughs> putting something to sleep is bad. <laughs> put it to bed. I get that. Yeah. I'll put it to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So if I was just happened to be walking down the street uh, in China or Mexico or UK or wherever and bumped into one of your employees, one of the people you used to work with, and I asked them about you, what would they tell me? What type of leader would they say you are? That's such a good question. I think that what they would say is that I was incredibly consistent, that I was tough, and I challenged them and they were able to teach me as much as I taught them. Nice. And that Very is cool. so true. I learned so much every day. That oh, was, yeah. that was a, that role was a trip down humility every single minute of the day. But, but I love <laughs> those, fantastic. those opportunities to learn. Yeah. They're different mm -hmm. perspectives, how they do things, how they think about things. That is awesome. Um, so speaking about leadership still, what, what makes a good leader? What do you look for in a leader? Because you help companies, not only coaching them, uh, but you also do recruiting for them. If they're looking for a leader, how do you, how do you pick those right people? So 
I think in general, when I look at leadership, one of the fun things I love to do is predict like future skills. Like, you know, in 10 years, what skills do we not even think of right now that we know we're going to need or what competencies? And I always love to remind people the way we've been taught to lead our best practice leadership skills we've been given were really created in, you know, 1950, 1960. Mm -hmm. And I think a few things have changed since then. We also didn't know anything about the brain back then. And I'm really a true believer in brain-based leadership and understanding the human brain and leading with it instead of against it. Um, So I think those really strong, talented leaders are curious. They are open for someone to come and change their mind. You know, as leaders, we have to have a viewpoint, but we also have to be open to having someone change our mind. We can't get overly attached to our plans. And I know that you have plan A, B, or C, but sometimes there is something you've never thought about. And if you're so overly attached to your plan, when that thing comes out of left field, you you stumble because you're like, I don't even know, because you're just so attached to what you're doing. And I think our leaders of the future have to be fantastic at leading people that do jobs that they have no idea how to do. And that's takes some confidence. Yeah. It definitely does. But like you said, being open to learn, being open to have your, your ideas challenged and, mm-hmm. and to learn new things. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's, that's part of the courage, right? We talk about the different types of courage that we have to tap into on a daily basis, either personally or professionally. Uh, one of the types of courage we talk about is intellectual courage, being able to set aside your long-held beliefs to make room for new information because there's always new information. Like you said, a lot of the, the models that we use were created in the 50s and 60s. You have to be able to set that aside. Somebody has a new idea, let's let's entertain that, right? Um, what type of courage? Well, let me ask you about your courage. Where did you find the courage to just decide you wanted to go out on your own and do this for yourself? Where did that come from? I don't know where. I mean, I don't necessarily know. Like, I can't say, you know, I woke up one day and there was this piece, but there's obviously a piece somewhere in me. I think I have a lot of um, determination. I, I, I really enjoy setting goals and figuring it out and thinking about the pieces. And, and that's how I looked at it. You know, it takes courage to do a lot of things, but I think it takes even more courage to say, I'm going to do it my way. Mm -hmm. And so when I set out on this path, I had a lot of people that were more than happy to give me a ton of advice. And I was like, thanks, but you know, that's yours. That's for you, not for me. And I did things different. And I did things that people thought were nuts. And I did things that people told me I was going to, you know, fail. And, and that's okay. Cause I still did it my way. So I think courage comes from being authentic to yourself. Nice. But did you have entrepreneurs in your family that you kind of looked at? Um, I do have some, um, but not a ton. And, um, and definitely, you know, more of the male side of my family, not the female side of my family. Mm. And so as a female, um, having a business, um, yeah, I'm not that you're saying it, I might be one of the first. That's yeah. awesome. Very mm-hmm. cool. Um, so, so the courage, you didn't necessarily come from somebody, but I'm sure you've had leaders in your, your past and right in working around the, the world and stuff like that. What have you seen? What, what have you learned specifically from these different leaders that, that really impacted you? Oh my gosh, long list there. That's a fantastic question. So I think in general, what I learned is that, um, 
there's this fine balance for sticking up with what you believe in and being open to changing your mind. Mm -hmm. And I think that is probably one of the biggest lessons. And the other lesson was the importance of consistency within change. And as the world changes faster and faster, it's overwhelming. It's scary. Our brains are like, no, don't do it to me. And as a leader, you have to manage change, but you can only do that effectively if who you are is consistent, how you make decisions, what you believe, what your values are. When those can main, remain the same and consistent, then change doesn't feel so crazy. And I think that's one of the things I learned from a leader I had for a, in a short time. It was international, but he was really good at saying, this is the parameters, have at it. Yeah. And then you could go back and say, this is what I did. And he could say, you know, I think that's right on, or I'm not real sure about that. Or you might look at it different this time, but we never got in trouble for making a decision. Right. And when you're working internationally, that's important because you don't know what country or someone's awake or asleep. You can't call someone. <laughs> you have to figure it out. Yeah. But I think that is important as a leader. Here's the goal. Here's, here's the mission, right? Accomplish this. Um, you, you mentioned values. Values are important. That's one of the things I work with my clients to identify what are the core values of the company, right? We as individuals make our decisions based on our core values. Same thing in business. Do I invest in this? Do I sell this? Whatever. It's all based on those core values. If you don't share those with your employees, who knows what they're using? to make their decisions, right? You want to make sure that, that that's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what your goals are for an organization, especially if you're a founder who's running your company, there are some founders who want to run up the revenue or run up the assets to sell. There are others who want to maintain it for generations. There are others who are wanting to see if they can break something. Like, there's a million different ways to think about your company, but you have to know that so that your team is making decisions with that in mind. Absolutely. And like you said, consistency. You don't want a, a leader that waffles. No. Yeah. No. I worked work with that person before. Did not like it. <laughs> Me either. Every day is a new day. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of scary. Um, so you've accomplished a lot. You've traveled all over. You've done all kinds of cool things. You've got three or four coaching now. You rescue animals. Uh, what's next for you? What's next on the on the horizon? Oh, I think what's next on the right horizon, um, and my team and I've talked a lot about recently is scalability. Okay. You know, how do you look about, look at scalability? So that's really important for us here at the company is what scalability look like. And then how do we give back to those who don't have access to what we do? So we're really fortunate. We work with companies who look at development as a line item budget, you know, X amount of, you know, X amount to payroll, X amount of development, you know, from a percentage standpoint. And so if you're in one of those companies, that's amazing, but not everyone is or can't be. And so with us thinking about scalability, it allows us to then think about how to help someone who doesn't have access. And that's a big piece of where we're at. And to, during the pandemic, as, as part of a solution, we started Leading Edge. We do it once a year. It's a free workshop or a Leadership Academy workshop. We do two to three, sometimes four workshops. Nice. So we put that out for people. Um, and then for our anniversary this month, we launched a YouTube channel that has leadership education program um, on it. And so really it's that balance between scalability. And then once you scale, how do you get back? Excellent. Very cool. 
So uh, this current landscape that we're in, do you see this continuing? Do you see it morphing into something else? What's, what's your crystal ball say? Oh, my crystal ball. So the crystal ball has been very busy and trying to figure it out like everyone's. And I do think that this is where we're going. I think that our leaders of the future have to be um, open to looking at things creative with creativity. They have to be able to say, I don't care how I'm supposed to do it. I know that's not going to work. I'm going to do this. And they're going to have to start thinking about their responsibility when they employ someone. Because, you know, we spend a lot of time and an effort in our jobs. And yes, it's a currency exchange for a paycheck, but it's also a relationship. And we have to start thinking about how to take care of those relationships. And long-term, not just yeah. short-term. Absolutely. Very cool. So Jen, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? What's your, what's your website? So it is 304coaching.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn at Jen Thornton or through our YouTube channel, which is Jen Thornton 304 Coaching. Very cool. Good job. Well, this has been amazing. Um, I would love to just have just a podcast just talking about the animals because I know we could. How many, how, you, how many dogs? Have? Four dogs right now? We got four, two bigs and two littles. <laughs> that is awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. I really appreciate you being here and thanks for everything that you're doing and uh, continuing to doing. Cause I think on the HR side, I, I think that's where a lot of uh, small to mid-sized businesses struggle. I'm sure some of the bigger companies do too, but I know the, the small to mid-sized companies really struggle with this. They don't have an HR team. It would be nice, you know, to have someone that they could call in and say, Hey, what am I doing wrong? Right. How can you help? So perfect. Well, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Um, listeners, hope you guys uh, were taking notes. There's a lot of good takeaways from this. If you were not taking notes, shame on you. Uh, listen to the podcast again. This time, be prepared. Um, and share this with your family, friends, and colleagues. And stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now. 